I'm glad to be here today. Um, I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 87 as we continue our study of the Psalms. Um, just picking out one each week and trying to make sense of them. Um, today, on July 3rd, it's not quite the 4th, I want to talk about the greatest nation that God has ever made. Now, don't get out your red, white, and blue yet. I'm talking about the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. We are a holy nation. And I think, uh, and I don't want to convolute the two at all. I'm so happy that I live in America, and I'm glad for it. But we, as the people of God, have a special role in this world. And I'm not just talking about the American church. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We are a holy people. In fact, Peter talks about how do you wage war in a pagan society? Encore. (laughs) I shouldn't have said so much flattering words about you, no. Um, But we are, the people of God have always been God's way of working on this planet. And as I I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted. Uh, Peter tells us, that we are a holy nation, but we don't wage war the way the, na- the people wage war. We, we fight sin in our own lives, and then we invite people into the gospel. That's um, kind of our role here. Psalm 87 was a surprise to me because it hits on some of those themes. I, it's interesting how these, we, since we're not going through them in order, one of them usually catches my attention as I'm reading, and, and it's like, that would, you know, I could teach on that. Let's see what that has to say. And so this one's been uh, fun for me. And I hope that you'll get something out of it as well. So read with me Psalm 87. It's not written by David. It's written by the sons of Korah, who we, I think, discovered a few weeks ago were Levites and um, worshipers. They led worship. And But here's what they wrote. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me, Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in you, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. All right, let's pray. God, these... Uh, words here seem foreign to us in many ways. They, uh, they don't quite relate to our setting. And so teach us, God. Teach us how they do apply to us and how we can learn something about what you're doing on, on the planet today, what your goal is for your kingdom, for your holy nation, how we should, as citizens of that nation, behave and, and invite others to join us in worshiping you. So, God, just do your work now, please, through your spirit. In, his na- in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the first point I have is the foundation is God. We talk a lot about, and rightly so in our country, about the founding fathers and what their original intentions were. Well, the psalmist right here say there is the, the, this thing we call the kingdom of God, or if, if I can use kind of broad terms, the church, uh, the people of God. There was a founding father we don't have founding fathers in the church we have god the founding father and he had certain things in mind and in our debate in our country we talk about what was the intent of the original founding fathers what was the document how do we you know interpret how do we stand by the constitution and all that kind of stuff well we need to ask those questions too about the founding of the people of god god has founded this thing called the church he has founded this thing 
the, in, in earlier days, it was the nation of Israel. For us, it's the church. It's the people of God that are represented, representing him on earth. And so right off the bat, again, redundant, A, it's founded by God. Our church, and don't think just Grace Community Church this morning. Think of the people of God on the planet, Big C Church. The church was founded by God. We, we, Christ is the head of, of any church, right? It should be, or he should be. But here it says in verse 1, he has founded his city on the holy mountain. Now, a couple things going on here. His city, they're talking about Jerusalem here. That's where God decided i'm going to show up there that's where i want you to build uh, a, a temple there that's where i will show up in my presence there and it was built on a mountain we know it is mount zion and so just get in your mind if you hear zion if you hear jerusalem even if you hear israel those kind of begin to be interchangeable a little bit it's god's place on this planet a few weeks ago we learned when we studied psalm 24 that the whole earth belongs to god everything in it Every person on this planet belongs to God. Now we're kind of narrowing it down a little bit, but on this whole place, there's a, there's a particular place, at least in the Old Testament, where God showed up and says, this is my special place. I'm going to show up on this mountain. Um, Isaiah would say this, and this kind of tracks from last Old Testament, New Testament. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all mountains, and it will be exalted above all the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Okay, put that in your mind. Whatever God's doing on the planet, through his people, it's for the people of the world to come and, I, and ultimately to worship his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, that's part of why we're here. Isaiah fourteen thirty two. the Lord has established Zion, and in her all afflicted people will find refuge. The people of God, as they worship God, should be a place where people from everywhere can come and find refuge. Some of the songs we just sang. So this is what God establishes. He establishes a people that will draw people to his son, Jesus Christ, and also where people will find help, will find security, will find refuge. All right? So point A is founded by God. Point B is the favorite of God. Verse 2 says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. So what the psalmist is saying here, Israel, all the people that live in Israel, there's great cities everywhere. There's great places everywhere. But God finds special favor in Jerusalem. God finds special favor in this location in the Old Testament. I would commend today the way we can apply this is there's all kinds of great things going on in the world, but nothing greater than what's happening in the church right now. When people are gathered from all walks of life, from sinners saved by grace, worshiping a God who came and, and, and singing praises to him and loving one another, this is the best thing going on the planet, okay? It is God's special. It is, again, he loves the whole world, but he, he loves, if I can put it this way, the gates of Zion even more. He, he loves what's going on here. Now, every time I hear the word gates, I think of that verse that maybe you've thought of in Matthew 16 that says the gates of hell will not overcome, right? Or let me, let me quote it exactly. I will build my church on, on Peter's confession of who Christ was. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And that gets a little confusing. So I just want to, because my mind went there, maybe your mind went there. What that verse is saying, and one of the songs we just sang made me think of this, um, because Jesus, Jesus is talking to his disciples there and they're worried that he's leaving them and they're not going to know what's going to happen. And he says, listen, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, 
That's a way of saying death cannot stop what's going on here. Specifically, the death of Jesus Christ will not stop the work of the church because he will rise again, the spirit will come, and the church will continue doing its work. The reason I wasn't here last week, I was dealing with a bunch of middle schoolers at a youth camp. I am too old to do that, but we talked about the church doing greater things. Jesus promised us, I was, middle schoolers got it, so I hope you get this. Jesus said, you will do greater things than I have done because the Spirit's going to come. And guess what? On the first sermon that Peter preached, more people got saved than the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. Because the Spirit has worked through His people around the planet. Greater things are happening. It doesn't mean we're all walking on water a little faster than Jesus did. It means souls are coming into the kingdom in ways that one person, even Jesus, did not accomplish because the whole plan was that through His people, great things would happen. And that great thing is people are coming into the kingdom. Point C that you have there is the fame of God. It says in verse 3, glorious things are said of this, of you, city of God. Um, you may not, you, you won't pick this up on Twitter, okay? But God is doing amazing things in the world through his church. Not because I was there, but just last week hanging out with a bunch of kids that love the Lord. God is at work. And it's one of the wonderful, it's one of the things we ought to be so thrilled to be a part of that. And again, you won't find that in the, you know, in however you get your news feeds or whatever like that. But there are glorious things that can and should be said about the church. Don't expect, by the way, other people to, to say that. We need to understand what God is doing here, that it's worth our time and it's worth our effort and it's worth celebrating what god has done so let me just start with that that's the foundation here god has established this group of people to do wonderful things and i think he is point two is the family of god so who are we who are these people um i think verses four through six tell us these glorious things that should be mentioned what has god done point a i've got all are reached okay now you look around and say well not everybody's reached yet yeah absolutely but what happens in verses 4, 5, and 6 is this roll call of people that will come into the kingdom of God. Now, I already told you in point 1 that God has said, Jerusalem, Zion, Israel is my favorite place on the planet. And then what's going to happen here, we're going to list five different nations that are not Israel. They're not Jerusalem. The great things that God are doing, the glorious thing that God is doing is he's bringing people from all walks of life all around the globe into the kingdom who don't deserve to be there. Okay? And so as we go through this, verse 4, I will record Rahab and Babylon along those who acknowledge me. And when it says acknowledge me, some of your versions may say know me. There will be people from Rahab and Babylon that know God personally and intimately. They're saved is the way we say that. Philistia too, and Tyre, and Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. So get out your birth certificate, and what this is saying is there will be people from Babylon and Rahab, and, and I'll explain all these to you in a second, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush, and you look at their birth certificate, and it says they're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Doesn't make sense when the psalmist is writing this, because they're not Israel. But this is what God had said from the beginning. The reason he created the nation of Israel, and, I'm confer- and I think by extension the church, is that as he said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Okay? 
Revelation ends with saying people from every tribe, every tongue will be around the throne worshiping Jesus. The reason we do this is so Jesus gets the credibility and the worship that he deserves. Now, I want to say something. This is a little housekeeping. This is fun. Um, when I miss a week, I have to dump twice on you. So here we go. We are here, part of what we're here to do, we are a, a gathered group of believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? That's who the church is. But we also have people that God is inviting into this. Okay? And they join us here each Sunday. Some of us scratch our heads every week because we can't keep up with y'all. There's guests here every week that we can't keep up with. And so I've, all, I've always said this for 20-some years now. If you do nothing else in this church, be really friendly to new people in our church. That goes a long way. Now, I want to put some teeth on that because here's, I, I learned this at camp. This is what your pastor learned at youth camp last week from another pastor. There's some rules that another church has in this state, and I kind of like them. So I'm, they're not rules because I don't deal that way, but let me give you some strong suggestions. Be intentional on spotting and talking to people you don't know around here. They may have been here for 12 years too, and you just haven't sat in the same row yet. But this other pastor said they, have a, they do have a rule in their church. Friends can wait. Okay? We, I like to do what you like. Hey, I haven't seen you all week. Let's talk about the stuff we missed. By the way, strangers are walking past us, and they're not connecting to anybody. So give your friendship just a five-minute break and say, I'm going to pick out somebody that I don't know yet, and I'm just going to introduce myself to them. Another rule is don't let anybody sit alone. If you come in this room or see somebody in the hallway and nobody's with them, just go say, hey, introduce yourself to them. And by the way, introduce them to somebody else. And then invite them to do whatever you're doing around here. Come see you next week or whatever. So let's be intentional about that. Now, that's easy to do when we're all nice and it's a Sunday morning in Smithville, Missouri. But that's not the list of Rahab, Babylon, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and let me get the right, Cush, Okay. So let's go through these. Who are these other people that God in this psalm is inviting in or are bringing into the kingdom? The first group you have are Rahab, Babylon, and Philistia, all in verse 4. Now, the Bible can be very confusing. Rahab is not the prostitute Rahab. It's a nation in the Bible. Egypt is often called Rahab. Isaiah calls Egypt Rahab. In the Hebrew, they, it's, it's spelled a little differently. And so we know that's a different, it's a different word, but that's the idea here. If you go through Rahab, Babylon, and Philistia, and you could probably pick out the Babylonians and the Philistines, pick out Egypt too, all of those are the enemies of God, are the adversaries of God. And what God is doing and has done through history is those people that are his enemies, his adversaries, are getting saved. He's bringing them into the kingdom. And so you have the, the people that are opposed to, and I want to make these applications for us today. Who is it when you look around today and say, those are the enemies of God? They don't think good thoughts. They don't say good words. They don't act the way they should act. Those are the kind of people that God wants to save. Okay, get this. I, 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 I said that I, I teach this down at Riverstone last week, and I said, listen, it's hard to convince people that God wants them in heaven when you want them to go to hell. And if I'm honest, and I think if I'm honest about you, we know that some people just bring that. We don't want, you know, we would just rather God get them. The wonderful story of the gospel is that God gives undeserving grace to sinners. That's us. 
That's what he did to us. Starting, if you want to start in the book of Acts, that's what he did to the apostle Paul, who was killing Christians, and he got them saved. I've told a story before. My history is not quite that of Paul's. I wasn't killing Christians, but I was far from the Lord. And I, I've, I've mentioned this before. I was driving along what is now Highway 13 um, from Springfield to Kansas City. And now I drive that all the time because both my boys live down there. And there was this house all along. It was a white house. I remember this. And I was just in the back seat of a car. And it's when God got a hold of my life by this big white house. And I looked up at the stars, and I just felt impressed that God says, listen, you're wasting your life once you, you know, serve me. And it's, that's kind of, that's a major deal in my life. Well, a week ago, we were making that drive. And I was saying, where's that white house? Well, somebody put siding on that white house. It's now a brown house. And it didn't dawn on me, but there's a little town in Missouri called Damascus. At least there's a sign to a road, a town called Damascus. I can't find Damascus on a map. But guess what? That little brown house is right next to the sign that says Damascus two miles that way. God saved me on the road to Damascus. (laughs) And I just love that. God saved you on a similar road. Those adversaries, God wants them to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. And he's going to save some of them. So just the fact that we have Egypt and Babylon and the Philistines in the kingdom of God is a miracle, right? So begin to think, who are these other people that God wants to invite into this great nation, the holy nation of his people? Secondly, it's the arrogant. That nation called Tyre there. You, again, have probably never visited there. They were very prosperous. They were successful. And because of that, they were very arrogant. They didn't need anything. They had everything they needed, and because of that, and I'll get to that in point three, they were a temptation to the people of God. But you may know people and look around and say, well, that person doesn't need God. They've got everything they need. Guess what? They are as empty as some of us are. And they may not know it, but they need it. They need the gospel. They need Jesus too. Maybe you're that kind of person. Maybe you know that kind of person. But those are the kind of people God will save. And, and again, at the opposite end of somebody that's poor and des, you know, desolate, somebody that's got it all together can just be broken before the Lord. Thirdly, and this is the appealing, this is where I mean they're, they're, they're tempting. Tyre, again, seem to have it all together. And sometimes as believers, we will look at the world around us, not the nasty, hateful stuff we don't like, but the good stuff and think, well, I don't need to be that serious about God. I don't need to sacrifice for what he's doing. I don't need to be embarrassed for what he's doing. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pursue what the world's pursuing and just tag Jesus onto that. And sometimes we're tempted to do that. I've noticed again, I've been at this long enough to start noticing patterns. I've not done studies, but I've noticed, at least as I made my quick list, four different kinds of people, and I'm, I'm tempted to be any one of these, who will drift away from the Lord and his church, okay? See if you can spot these as well. Sometimes people go away because it's either embarrassing or it's hard to believe what we believe. I think we're seeing that happen in our culture right now. You're you're mocked, you're ridiculed, you're perhaps even treated unfairly because of what you believe to be true. And because of that, some people will drift away. Okay. Some people, 
when life doesn't go like it goes entire and they get sick or they lose a loved one or they have financial ruins, say, well, God must not be there. And so just hardship sometimes takes people away from the Lord. All these two, by the way, can drive people to the Lord. Sometimes just sin will do that. Sometimes we'll, they'll either partake of sin themselves. And I'm just telling you in our culture today, here's what I see a lot of. Somebody we love and know and care about and even respect has a different viewpoint on something. And rather than make waves with that person, we'll just kind of drift away from the Lord. That way I don't have to have those conversations. And because a son or a daughter or a parent or a loved one thinks differently, well, I'm just going to kind of align myself with that more than what the church stands for. And people drift away from that. And some, it's just because, frankly, they're pursuing the prosperity of Tyre. Jesus would tell the parable of the soils that said that there's some seed that stands or that falls um, and people hear it. They go away choked with life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they don't mature. All of those are tempting for us that we see the world and, and, and want to go after it. Point four, I'm in sub point four, is this, this nation called Cush. Cush is another word for Ethiopia. And so Ethiopia was far away from Jerusalem. It was, it was a dis, that's, so for here I have the absent. These are the people that are far away from us. And that can be one of, I've given you two different reasons. I'm going to give you a third here in a second. They can just be out of your mind. Like it's people you don't think of. They need to hear the gospel. I'm convinced that every single day, God gives us opportunities to at least plant a seed someplace. And we just go by and don't even think about it. And so sometimes the people that are far away from us, our Ethiopians, our Cushites, are just people we're, we're rubbing elbows with all day long and we just never think maybe they're a part of, to come into the kingdom of God and God wants to use me to at least introduce that to them, if not share my faith with them. Some are literally far away, like this Ethiopia was far away from Jerusalem. This is why we send missionaries out. There are people all over the world that have not even heard about Jesus yet. And that's why we support missionaries. That's why maybe God has called you to be a missionary. But maybe, this is closer to home, those that are far away from us are just those, again, I'm, go, I'm kind of tracking back to, to, to our adversaries, that just seems like there's no hope for them. This world is messed up. People believe goofy things. They need Jesus. See, when you have goofy foundations, you have goofy thoughts. They need Jesus. And a phrase that came to my mind, I hope it makes sense to you, that mess out there, that mess is our mission field. That mess is where we should be the light of the gospel. That's where we should be telling people what's going on. Because we don't live in the world that many of us grew up in. I just, I've said this before. We're the weird ones now. We're the enemies. We're the haters. We're the ones that don't get it. It used to be because of the founding of our country and just the Judeo-Christian upbringing that most of us had that people would just go along with it. We're, the, we're not only insignificant now, we're the bad guys in many ways. And I had this little thought process that it helped me. Again, I hope it helps you. If you were a first century Christian... How would you go about your life differently than you go about your life now? Because those first believers weren't like, I can't believe the Romans have all these gods. They were the odd ones out. They had to figure out a way to share the gospel with a world who hadn't even thought about Jesus. Right? 
I can't believe they're going to those bathhouses and doing all that immorality stuff. That was the world they lived in. Guess what, folks? That's the world we live in. Our mindset used to be, I have to go some foreign country and some tribe that's never heard about Jesus. I'm telling you, they live around you right now. And our mindset has got to be, why don't they see things the way I do? It's like, how do I infiltrate that kind of world? Because that's the kind of world we're living in. We have got to figure out a way to invite the Cushites and the Philistines and the Babylonians and everybody else to this wonderful thing called the nation, the, the gospel or the kingdom of God. Here's how I think it works. You pray for them. God's not going to just open your mouth if you don't have a heart for lost people. You've got to love them. Okay, that's the hard one because I want to either dismiss them or despise them. And if I don't love them, I'm not going to share Jesus with them. Frankly, again, I'd rather God just get rid of them. What if God did that to me? What if God did that to you? Our heart has got to be so broken for lost people and how that manifests itself in all kinds of ways. Our heart has got to be so broken for them that we're praying for them and we can't wait for just that opening to say, but Jesus loves you. There's a different way. There's a different truth. But it's got to start from that place and not to beat them over the head like, you guys are idiots, you don't get it. I was asked, Carol said, how do you, Carol asked me Thursday, well, how do we do this? If, if God has broken your heart, and this goes so against what we might want to do, serve them. Love them. Seek to understand them. I'm not saying agree with them. I'm just saying there are some sad, tragic stories. And we don't even know them. And so we have got to, we're inviting them into the truth and into the gospel. But if, I can't be a jerk to them. I, I honestly look for ways to serve people that are your enemy, it seems like. Right? Do that. Start there. Love for them. Love on them. Pray for them. All right. Whew. When you don't preach for two weeks. Point B. All are reborn. So this is not just a fix their mind and thought process and behavior. If you read in verses 4, 5, and 6 again, you see this word come up over and over. In verse 4, it says, I will, and then he lists all his quotes. This one was born in Zion. Verse 5, this one and that one were born in Zion. Verse 6, this one was born in Zion. We're talking about people being born again. We're not talking about winning arguments necessarily. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about new life that comes. That's how I got saved. That's how you got saved. And if you'll notice in those same verses, God says, I will do this in verse 4. Verse 5, God himself will establish her. Verse 6, the Lord will write. This is why we've got to pray that God saves people because only God can save people. They must be born again. That's what Jesus said. They, In fact... The very question Jesus answered to Nicodemus was, how do you get into the kingdom? And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't do it. And so we're talking again and not about just setting things straight or right. We're talking about people getting saved. I almost wore a t-shirt today. I have a t-shirt that says born squared, like reborn. You need to ask that question. Have you been born again? Not, do I go to church? Not, am I a good person? Has God brought you from death to life? Has he brought you as an enemy into an adopted son or daughter? Have you been born again? The Bible says that those who, this is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it's not something that happens physically, it's something that happens spiritually, and God does that. 
Point C, all are recorded. Again, those same verses. Verse 4, I will record. Verse 5, this one and that one. Verse 6, the register. I will write on the register the people of God. To be born into the city or the kingdom meant you were a citizen there. You enjoyed the benefits of citizenship. Um, these, since it is July 3rd, and I'll mention some things there, I know are hot topics and I don't mean them to be, but um, just the whole idea of how do you get into this nation, America, right? And I know immigration and the border is a, a big deal, but let's just, I think, understand this, that there is a distinction that you're either in America or you're not in America. At some point you go from one nation to the So being a citizen means you used to be in this kingdom, now you're in that kingdom. So there's a distinction there. It also means that somehow you have access to that new kingdom. You can come into that. And that's the debate in our country right now. Is that wide open or is there a certain way to... Here's what Jesus says. Everybody can come into the kingdom, but there's only one door. Okay? I'm not making political statements now. I'm making theological statements now. Everybody, Rahab, Babylon, whatever, is invited into the kingdom, but the way into the kingdom is Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes in except through him. And one of the things we face, and it's, I think it's wrongly so, perhaps we've earned it at times, is this great nation, this holy nation of the church, the people of God, is open to anybody. We, are, we get the, the wrong um, label that we're exclusive. We are in the sense that there's only one door, but we invite everybody. Does that make sense? Christianity alone, by the way, came onto this planet and said, I don't care where you were born or what station in life you have, whether you're male or female or whatever, come in. You come in through Jesus, but everybody. It used to be if you were born in this country, then you were that religion or this race and you were that religion. Christianity blew that. It's the most inclusive religion that's ever been on this planet. Okay? Everybody's invited. But... There's only one door. And so what Jesus would say to the 72 when he said, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven, right? The author of Hebrews says the same thing, that you have come to Mount Zion, the same thing the psalm is talking about, a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Revelation talks about whether your name is written in the Lamb's book of life or not. Are you a citizen of heaven or not? That's, that's what the psalmist is talking about. That's what we are to do. That's our commission is to invite people to the kingdom of God and pray that God would change their hearts. Now, there's a verse, and this was kind of the theme of the youth camp. I'm not re-preaching youth camp. I'm just telling you what's on my mind. Jesus would tell his disciples... That they would be handed over and persecuted, put to death. They would be hated by all nations because of him. Many will turn away from their faith and betray and hate each other. There will be false prophets and they will deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And here's verse 14 of Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay? We don't know when that'll happen. We know there's statistics about how many people know about Jesus or or not, but I'm telling you, what Jesus says, if you want Jesus to come back, like we get into the mindset, this world is so messed up, I just want Jesus to come back and fix it all. What Jesus is saying is, this world is so messed up, I want you to get out there and share the gospel so I can come back. 
If you want Jesus to return, get to work sharing the gospel. Because when the last person that will be around the throne, some language, some tongue, will hear the name of Jesus and somebody will get saved, then Jesus will come back. Now, he said, I don't know when that's going to happen. But too bad, too, too often we just shelter back and say, I wish he would, he would get here. I thought of some goofy illustrations like little kids who say, can we go outside and play? And what's mom always say? Clean your room. Right? Or can I eat dessert? Finish your dinner. And to the church, I would say, do you want Jesus to come back? Complete the task of sharing the gospel. It's our duty to do this because Jesus deserves the worship of every tribe, every ten, every nation. All right, so we have the foundation and we have the family of God. And thirdly and lastly, the fountains are God. It says in verse 8, as they make music, I'm sorry, verse 7, as they make music, they will sing. There's some Hebrew words going on there. It means with instruments. It just means everybody's going to be full of singing. They, they, they can't, they're full of joy of what God has done. They're excited about what God has done. And I thought of this little illustration as I'm away and doing different things. Maybe you do this. You think my wife would really like that. You know, see a, see something in the store or even at the grocery store. That's Janet loves that. You know, you think of that or even our kids these days, you know, you, um, you think of something, you say, oh yeah, Campbell would like that or that. Do you ever go around thinking, man, God would love that. You know, well, let me tell you what God loves and what brings joy and music to heaven. It's the parable of lost sheep where Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You want to hear singing in heaven? You want to bring joy to God's heart? Be a part of inviting the nations into the kingdom of God. Because God will get way more excited about us going and running into somebody at quick trip and they get saved and the fact that the hundred or so of us were here this morning and sang praises to him. You really want to make God happy? Jesus tells us, go look for the lost ones. Because they will rejoice more over that than the fact that we all sat here and listened to me and this and did all that stuff. We should be full of joy. We should be singing the songs of joy. And I don't mean because, you know anything secondary frankly than worshiping god and inviting other people to worship god that should bring us and and i'm telling you and we got a great thing going here at grace community church i love this church i'm so glad i'm a part of here it's exciting to be here i couldn't wait to get here i can't wait to get back all that kind of stuff but i'm telling you you want to ramp things up around here watch people get saved every week watch lost people coming in and hearing the gospel and being born again you want to make this an exciting place? You want to make this a joyous place? Man, we will be singing like we shouldn't be singing, probably. And then point B is the source of that joy is God himself. It says in verse 7, all my fountains are in you. A few weeks ago, we studied Psalm 64, and it says, there is a river that makes glad the, the city of God. And I, I think I made the point, Jerusalem had no source of major rivers, and so God was their source of life and joy. This comes from God. As we partner with him to do the work of God and make our church and the church the people of God, that we will find such joy. We happen to live near and around the city of fountains, right? I mean, Kansas City is pretty proud of all the fountains around here. If you can think of it this way, Grace Community Church should be one of those fountains. This should be a city full of just the joy of God as God is doing work, and he invites us to be a part of that. 
Because Jesus says, whoever believes in him, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And he meant the Spirit of God. Well, here's how I would apply this. Is First of all, make sure you know your citizenship. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you one who God says this one and this one are in the register? They have been born again. They are citizens of my nation. They are citizens there. If not, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you. He is the only way in. Everybody's invited. But he wants you to come through him. He wants. He says, I'm the only way that you can come into the kingdom. So have you been born again? Have you confessed your sins to Christ and said, I, I'm a sinner, I... I need you to pay for my sin is exactly what Jesus did. The reason the Babylonians and the Philistines and the the whole list and me and you can even get into the kingdom is because Jesus paid that price. He paid for my sin. He paid for your sin. He's just inviting you in. And so if you're a citizen, then here's the follow-up question. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Are we sharing our faith? Are we inviting others, even those that we don't like and don't care for? And frankly, I hope they never get saved because then I might have to sit next to them to church kind of people. And, and I, I have yet to find a way to articulate this, but I, I cry every time I try to. That person that is so far from God or so indifferent to God, when they get saved, there is a tremendous story of God's grace waiting to be told. They will be forever remembered for that side of that transition, not the previous side of that transition. And those stories are out there. And so our job is to go invite people into the kingdom. I don't care how far away or how antagonistic or whatever. It's just be that light of the gospel in the world that God has placed us in. So he can continue to grow his kingdom. And so really my call to you is just go out, let's do the great commission that we've been told to do. And Jesus says, I'll be with you, and there will be great rejoicing. That's the thing that we're called to do. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for this song. I I would not have dreamt up that I should talk about it this way on July 3rd. But I believe you have led us to Psalm 87 and to the tremendous truth there that people are invited to be born into your kingdom. And that it's our job to invite them in. And so, God, as we celebrate, rightly so, that we are Americans and that we have been blessed to live in this nation, God, there is a more important and, frankly, a more lasting citizenship we have, and that's in the kingdom of God. God, I thank you that you saved me one day. And I pray that you'll save some even here right now. God, there are some here today who are not citizens of your kingdom. They have not been born again they've seen it at work they can they can probably describe what's going on in the church but you've never given them new life and so god i pray that you would save some today and god as we leave here i pray that you would save others through us god as we think through who are our enemies and who are those that are just distant from us who are those we don't think need you would you place them on our hearts with such a burden that we would share our faith, that we would point them to Jesus. God, we want to sing great songs. We want rejoicing in heaven because of what you've done here today. Would you bless us now in Jesus' name, amen.